0: Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Some of you are too young to remember someone called Ann Landers, but Ann Landers started her career in 1955. For 47 years, she was a columnist in newspapers and magazines, and people used to write to her for advice. That was her pen name. And 90 million people read her column almost every day. Pretty amazing thing. Now today we have the Internet, and it's very different, but she was a figurehead. Ask a lot of older people. they all know the name Ann Landers. And um, she challenged her readers on one occasion, to come up with the world's third biggest lie that they could. They could write into her. She said, the first two biggest lies in the world are this: The check is in the mail. And the second one was, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. She got thousands of suggestions on the third biggest lie in the world and here are 10 of them. Number one, it's a good thing you came in today, we only have two more in stock. Here's another one, 10 extra kilos is nothing on a person your height. Here's the third one, you made it yourself. I would never have guessed. Number four, of course I'll respect you in the morning. Took you a while, eh? (laughs) Number five, you don't look a day over 40. Here's a good one Dad, I need to move out of the res into an apartment of my own so I can have some peace and quiet when I study. (laughs) Number seven, it's delicious, but I can't eat another bite. Here's one many of you would have experienced. The new company ownership won't affect you. The company will remain the same. Here's one you can remember from your youth. The puppy won't be any trouble, mom. I promise I'll take care of it myself. (laughs) And number 10 is the classic. You don't need it in writing. You have my personal guarantee. How many know you can't count on people to keep their word or their promises? It's not surprising that Craig Lounsborough in his book, An Intimate Collision, said this. He said, maybe I've got to be sufficiently broken by life's many broken promises to be sufficiently compelled to seek out God's unbreakable promises. When you've been disillusioned enough by life, you'll hold on to the promises of God no matter what you face. I want to carry on tonight in the third part of our series, trusting the promises when facing contrary circumstances this is supposed to be part three but it's actually part four because Tata did part three just prior to me preaching good job William Penn many of you have heard of him an oil company was named after him he's the founder of the state of Pennsylvania but he was a very good friend of the Lenape Indians in that region and he would meet with them on many occasions and they'd like to exchange gifts with each other on one occasion They said to him offhandedly, you can have as much land as you can walk on by foot in a day. And they kind of just, you know, mentioned or cuff. Well, he got up early one morning and he walked an entire state by the evening. And he went back to them and he said, this is where I've gone from here to here, from here to here. And they were staggered that he actually took them at their word. And they gave him the land, which today is known as the state of Pennsylvania. Pretty amazing. You see, the thing about William Penn was he was a Christian, and he understood that when you give your word, you keep it, because he knew that God was like that, and he expected them to be like that. How many of you know we need to hold on to the promises of God, and we need to believe them no matter what circumstances are like? The Lord told Joshua, as he told Moses, he'd given them a promise, and he said, every place on which the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you as I said to Moses, we need to be people who now are to stand on the promises of God, not just for salvation, because that's only the beginning of the journey. We need to trust God through the difficult times when circumstances don't look good, when there are tribes and enemies. The city of Jericho was shut up, but it was given. They needed to go in and take possession, because God had promised And you need to do the same. You need to stand on the promises of God for your family. You and your household will be saved. But I've just lost my job, Lord. How can you bring me this far? No, no, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You need to step over the political situation. You need to step over the social situation. You need to step over the storms in your life and stand on the promises because we make progress on the promises of God. The promised land is what they inherited. What's our promised land? Give you a definition of the promised land tonight. It's a place where we live in when we keep trusting the promises of God. And either you're living in a wilderness or you're living in captivity or you're living in a place where you stand on the promises regardless of contrary circumstances. Now the Apostle Paul said a lot of of things about the promises, but in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, And verse 17b, he talks about how the promises are absolutely guaranteed. And I love this passage because I preached on it some years ago. I did a whole series on it. He says, do you think I'm like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He's not undecided. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. You've heard that tonight already. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, if you didn't get it, ascends to God for his glory. You see, the promises of God always say yes, but the circumstances always say no. And what amen means is not some religious thing. It means so be it, even if I don't feel it, even if it doesn't look like it. We've got to trust the promises of God because they are reliable circumstances will deceive you, confuse you, and will always be contrary to the promises of God. They'll be like a moving ocean, but the promises of God are like stability, like an anchor, like a platform that you can cross turbulent waters on. Now, how do we receive the promises of God? I'm going to give you three things. And the third one I'm going to unpack tonight. So number one, we must participate in bringing their fulfillment. God's promises are given, but we participate in making them happen. A lot of people don't realize that they're conditional. Conditional. You heard about Abraham tonight. God promised Abraham from Genesis 12 to Genesis 18 several things. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you offspring. They're going to be like the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you property. I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be other people are going to be blessed through you. Now, how did that happen? It didn't happen while he was sitting in church. Neither did it happen as he walked through the fields. Oh, look at there's a gold bar. Wow. No, it happened as he participated in his daily life. Now watch, let's read in Genesis 13. It says here of Abraham's wealth, one of the promises came true, and we'll read about a few. I'll I'll mention a few. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy, promise of God, in livestock and in silver and gold. Just by the way, some people get offended when you get wealthy. What are you supposed to do with it? And can I ask you a question? At which point do you stop? Which size car, three series, five series, seven series? Who determines that? If God just continues to bless you and you're a good steward and you're generous, stop judging other people's wealth. Sometimes they've been faithful for years and God is rewarding them and they're almost embarrassed by it. It's a wonderful thing to drive into church in your car and then watch who turns around to give you a second look. I'm always amused by it, I have been over the years since driving a C-Class Mercedes. Do you know someone in the small building once said, the reason Pastor Andre drives a Mercedes C-Class is because he uses the church's tithes. Wonder what they say now, anyway, let's move on. But I want you to know, (laughs) I'm getting distracted. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. Watch this, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. This happened because he just faithfully went about his business Believing the promise of God. Every time his animals or his flocks got sick or one of the cows died, he didn't stay there moaning about it. He'd burn the carcass and he'd trust God. You said so, I'm just going to get on with it. Many of us don't see prosperity because the job we're in is hard. So all we do is we complain and we keep looking beyond instead of being faithful in what being called to do. The job God's given you is the stepping stone for multiplication. Faithful in little, faithful in much. You participate in making the promises a reality. And so at work, you need to be a faithful person. Otherwise, the promises won't happen. Abraham played his part. God blessed him. Now he has a son, and his son is growing up. Abraham waited 62 years. Now Sarah dies at 127. What does he do? He marries another woman, Katura, and he has eight more children. You've got to participate. You've got to go in the foyer with lipstick on, smelly good, and encounter someone if you want stars like the descendants in the sky. You've, it doesn't just happen. Oh God, would you bring someone to me and you spend all your time in your bedroom on your computer? It's not gonna happen. There's a participation in the promises of God because it's... Isaac, he's 37 and single. Even Abraham had his challenges. So what did he do? He sent his servant out to find a wife for Isaac. Something practical has to be done when you're 37 and no one's coming your way and God has promised and it feels like a blue tick. Something has to be done. (laughs) So I told you I would help you tonight. Go into the foyer and don't rush off stay and look around and strike up a conversation because if you've been promised you need to participate you think I'm kidding eh see God made all these promises but Abraham had to participate he had to keep working in fact God promised him a land so guess what happens when Sarah dies he buys a plot in Canaan from the Hittites and that's the first step of taking possession the land of Canaan. In fact, if you talk to the Jewish people, they will trace their ancestry back to Abraham buying a plot and God's promise. Doesn't matter what's happened in history, that's the Jews were the very first there because of him. And so we need to participate in the promises of God. The Lord said to Abraham, you can have as many descendants as, a, as, as sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And then he said this, and they'll be in captivity for 400 years. And then you know what? They'll come out with great possessions. How many of you know that promise came to pass? Israel left the land and they came out with great possessions, but God needed a Moses to do it. They didn't just wake up one day and say, I think our time's come. Moses had to persuade Pharaoh and leadership was used. God told, no, it's gonna rain. I'm gonna flood the earth and I'm gonna save you. What happened? Noah had to build an ark. You see, God requires our participation. Jesus came, he died on the cross and God promised that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's not automatic. You've got to play your part. You've got to invite him into your life. You've got to trust him fully and not just like try and purchase a ticket that you can put in your pocket. Now you've got to believe in him regularly and all the time and you've got to hold on to him and, and when, when the world tries to get you, now I'm, I'm trusting, that's what you got. Otherwise the promise is void. We participate. Let me give you some conditional promises here. Number one, John one, 1 John 1 and verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Don't think your sins were paid for so you never need to confess. You need to confess to keep your life clear. So it's very important that we confess our sins because then we receive forgiveness and we receive cleansing. Even though Jesus purchased it at the cross, it's dependent on our confession. I want to ask you, when last did you confess your sins? Do you only confess when you feel so blind and guilty that you can't help it? Or do you regularly every day come humbly and say, Lord, take my life. I've been taking control of it. i give it back to you. Here's another one, Luke chapter 6, forgive others and God will forgive you. Your forgiveness is dependent on the forgiveness you give. And it says give and it will be given to you. Not from the universe, from God. I'm so sick of watching movies. Oh, the universe is being kind to me. No, the universe is ugly. Life is not fair. The universe gives you nothing. God is good God. giving comes from him. Blessing comes from him. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The reason we don't have anything in our lives is because we don't know how to forgive and love people, and we don't know how to give. Then all we do is complain. Your promises aren't true. They were for David. They were for a time gone past. No, you're not operating In making them real. Number three, is these are common ones. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Then, can you see the then? Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Some of you in the room tonight, you're facing depression and you want sympathy and you'll continue to be a victim. It's because you're not standing on the promises and you're not appropriate. If you're depressed, you need to pray every day. I can't. No, you have to. And if God says you must, you can. If he says you can overcome temptation, you can. So what we have to do is pray and thank Him. Because when a depressed person starts to thank God for who He is and what He can do, positive thoughts flow in, positive energy comes in, and you recover. I'm so tired of us going to the world for their weak solutions, medical and chemical solutions. It's not the first place. We should go to God. Yeah, but you don't know how bad it is. I don't know how bad it is. I just know how good God is. And any promise that doesn't come to pass is because the conditions are not being fulfilled. Study the promises, participate with God, and watch Him release His peace, His blessing, His favor, and His forgiveness over your life. Number two, the second thing here on how to receive the promises, we must trust them despite raging circumstances. Not contrary, raging circumstances. Every one of us will face raging circumstances in our lives. Some of you right now as volunteers in the house are facing raging circumstances and we need to hold on to God's promise. I know what it's like. You get up in the morning, it's all quiet. You go in the lounge, put the heat on, got a fire going or you go in your study. There you find a gem, oh, hallelujah. My spirit is lifted, oh God, you are good. By tea time, when it's crisis, you've forgotten that promise, is gone. We've got to hold on to them and especially when you're sick you better start memorizing that. You need to be able to quote those promises. Oh, no, it says something about your, I kind to remember. No, no, you need to speak it. Declare it over your life. Your, your mouth is very important in speaking faith, speaking the word. You've got a bad report from the doctor. You've got a bad business report. You've got a call from the bank. Your loans are not approved. There's all sorts of stuff, retrenchments, loss of a deal, You've got to, in the face of that, say, here's a promise. And I'm holding on to the promise despite the raging circumstances. Now, there's a very well-known passage of scripture that I want us to read tonight because it illustrates this principle in what we are teaching tonight. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. The disciples faced raging circumstances. So let's read about it from verse 35. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Jesus spoke his word and that was God's intention and that was a promise. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall, that's a storm, came up. How many of you know things come up all the time? It happens and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. They were close to drowning. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion blue ticked, we texted you Lord, oh, <whistles> and then as I go over, wave, he was out, tired, he had spoken, and they should have chilled, but watch, they woke him up, and they said, teacher, don't you care if we drown, straight away we attack the character of God, when circumstances become louder than the promises. And a lot of people do that. He got up, watch this, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, like speaking to a naughty child, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, this is so funny, why are you afraid? (laughs) Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The Bible says in verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind And waves obey him. Some of you in the room know what it's like to face raging circumstances. You can't think straight, you start accusing God, and you think the Lord's abandoned you, but he hasn't. He has declared something, it's just up to you to hold on to it. Because it will be possible no matter what circumstances are saying. So, number three, and this is what we'll unpack tonight: keep believing because the promises are being tested. Whenever God gives you a promise, it will always be tested. This storm came from Satan. That's why he rebuked it. Imagine rebuking a storm. He would have rebuked his father if his father had sent the storm. Dad, not now. Bad timing. Did you not realize we're down here? What's happening? No, he knew the devil was trying to stop them from going to the other side. You see, the devil had tried to stop Jesus repeatedly. They took him to the brow of the hill and they tried to kill him. They had thought up ways of capturing him. Herod threatened to kill him. Now, not only is Jesus a threat, he's taking others with him and he's gonna go over to the place of the Gadarenes and they're gonna deliver a man of thousands of demons. He's a threat. Listen, whenever you, know, when God, when, when the devil knows that God's given you promises and you're on your way across on those promises and you're taking others with you, those promises will be tested and you've gotta hold on to them. Is this making sense? So we gotta to get to the other side and Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves and things in life, let me tell you this, they come up, especially when you're helping other people. They were on a mission of mercy. Things came up. I was reading about this uh, ship's cook. He worked on a tug, just a young man, 29 year old, a keene. he was the survivor, the only survivor on a tugboat of 12 people. This tugboat was towing another ship. And as they towed the ship and helped the ship go along the coast of Nigeria, as they were pulling it, their tug flipped over. Can you believe it? And the thing sank 30 meters. And he's down there in an air pocket for three days. Pitch dark, pitch dark. Now a diver comes along after three days. He's he's a Christian, he's been praying. He's been holding on the promises of God. He can't see a thing. He just knows I'm in an air pocket. He doesn't know how big it is. And he's praying. Imagine, that, imagine how cold, how fearful it must have been. Things come up. He's busy trying to help someone. But he holds on to the promise of God. And a diver comes. And the diver comes near him. And he sees the torch and then he's gone. So he tries to swim after the diver. The diver thinks he saw movement. He comes back again. But he doesn't. He, he tries to grab the diver. But he can't. The diver goes away. Third time a diver comes. The diver, he, he says, you can hear the diver talking. The diver says, corpse, corpse, corpse. No, he's alive. Diver goes into the pocket. That's where this picture was taken. The headlamp on the diver and uh, gives him oxygen, brings him to the surface and he survives. Do you know what life is like this? Raging things come at you. They overturn your life, but you're in the dark, but you've got to hold on to the promises of God. They are being tested in your life. Three mistakes we make concerning the promises of God. Are you all with me? When the promises of God are given, we don't expect difficulties. No, 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 don't, don't get into panic and fear and shock like the disciples. No, God's promises will be severely tested. In fact, the minute you get a promise concerning money, you'll be tested. When you get a promise concerning a job, you'll be tested. It often happens almost immediately. Peter, who told us in 2 Peter that God's promises are very great and precious, he says this in 1 Peter. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You've got to hold on. Don't think that they won't come with difficulty. They are incredible, but they will be tested and they will come with difficulty. J.C. Ryle was a British pastor and he said this, necessity is laid upon us. We must fight. There are no promises in the Lord Jesus Christ's epistles to the seven churches except to those who overcome. Where there is grace, there will be conflict. The believer is a soldier. There is no holiness without a warfare. Saved souls will always be found to have fought a fight. In other words, you won't get through without some challenges, and you're going to have to hold on to the promises and you have to overcome. Number two, the second mistake we make is this. When the promises of God are tested, we think he doesn't care. Our first reaction, and that's Satan's goal, always to cast doubt on the promises of God by bringing storms and raging circumstances. But God does care. He's just quiet. He hasn't blue-ticked you. It's coming. Amen? Amen? Fantastic. Number three, the third mistake we make is when the promises of God are tested, we don't realize Satan is watching. See, the enemy will test us to see what we're made of. And I do believe, like the book of Job, the devil goes to God and says, Look at them from rivers. Yes, they know how to shout on a Sunday night, eh? Get them down front, they know how to dance. Gosh, they shout hallelujah, they shout amen, they're passionate. Just put a little water on them and see what happens. Oh, they're easily put off. I believe God is honored when we hold on to his promises. When we show we're not phased, We keep going. We keep holding on. We need to be like a woman called Miss Unsinkable. Some of you may not have heard of Miss Unsinkable. What a wonderful story. Violet Jessup grew up with tuberculosis way back in the, early 1900s and managed to overcome the disease and and, and survive and she was given only a few months to live but she got through. Then having got through and got into health, her dad died but she clung to life, clung to, to possibilities and her mom was a stewardess on one of the ships and so she also sought a career on the ships and she started her career as a stewardess on a ship called the Olympic in 1911. It's the sister ship to the Titanic and sistership to the Britannic. And so she started her career. But unfortunately, the Olympic collided with HMS Hawk. And the, her hull beneath the surface was torn open. And the water started coming. And they just managed to make it to port. And she disembarked. And whoosh, you'd think she'd find a land job. No. In 1912, she got a job as a nurse on Titanic. And you all know what happened to the Titanic. It sunk on its maiden voyage. And she survived by managing to get into a lifeboat. You'd think that would be enough for Miss Unsinkable. No, four years later, she was offered a job on Britannic, sister ship to Olympic and Titanic. And as she sailed on the Britannic, a mine was laid by the Germans in the Aegean Sea. And it tore into the ship and it began to sink so rapidly that they couldn't get into lifeboats. She had to dive overboard into the water. Listen to what she says. She says, I leapt into the water but was sucked under the ship's keel, which struck my head. I managed to escape, but years later, when I went to my doctor, because of a lot of headaches, he discovered I had once sustained a fracture of the skull. You think you've had challenges? This woman's like a cork, she just keeps coming up. And that's how we need to be. We need to be unsinkable, because Satan's watching. You push me down, I'll bob back up. You push me down, I'll bob back up. (laughs) Miss Unsinkable lived to the ripe old age of 84. Come on, church. Are you Unsinkable? Because Satan's watching. Six things that we need to do. Six things to remember when the promises are tested. This is our response. And with this, I will wrap up. Number one, obedience to the promises will all, sorry, will take us into dangerous circumstances. You need to remember that. You can obey God, but you'll end up in some tough places. Jesus said it. They obeyed him, but they ended up in a raging storm. And we need to be obedient. The presence of danger does not mean the absence of God. Some of you are in precarious situations tonight. You say, come on. Yep. The presence of danger does not mean the absence of God. You could be completely obedient and be in the biggest storm of your life. What are you going to do? You need to hold on to the promises of God. And you need to realize that the promises will take us into dangerous circumstances. Do you know, I've obeyed God's promises over my life, and it's taken me into dangerous circumstances, into financially dangerous circumstances. People come here and they, wow, it's amazing what you guys have done, what God has done. They don't realize how we've had to walk on the promises of God. When this building was being completed, Sean and I were talking about how we were 20 million rand short of finishing the building. And everyone's getting excited next door. We're looking forward to it. No more overflow. And I'm thinking, where's the money going to come from? Lord, you said, you promised, you told us to advance your church. What do you do? You don't look at the bank balance. You just keep looking at the promise of God. And God, you told me, you said I need to, you called me into the ministry. You promised me that you'd use me. And you've told us that we need to extend your kingdom, go into all the world and preach a gospel to every creature. So we're going to step out. We step out and we go going to Carl Army. Hmm? Take you to dangerous places. Takes you into a big arena. It's one thing when you're speaking to 50 people. They're all your chummies, you know. <laughs> How's it know Auntie Gertie and Mavis and Bob and Tato and Seppel and you, you know. Now suddenly you're speaking to strangers. Every little thing you say. <laughs> and suddenly the whole country's against you. Raging circumstances. And you know what? In those moments, Jesus is asleep in the boat. Because in those days, I prayed, Lord, Lord, this is a raging thing. Give me a word immigration, (laughs) retirement, Um, business. No, no, he's sleeping. Because he told you to do something, and it's taking you to dangerous circumstances. Don't change your mind. Hold on to the promise. Is this making sense tonight? Helping anyone? Number two, circumstances reveal how much we believe God's promise. There's nothing like bad circumstances to show up what you really believe. You don't care. Where are you? No, God knows. He's asking the question, do you believe? Because in fact, Jesus questioned them. How come you don't have faith? How come you don't believe? Didn't I say it? And circumstances will do that to us. We're a, we're a people that worry and see negativity everywhere. Can I encourage you strongly? Stop watching too much news. You know, it's night past the had the news on and I went upstairs to chat to her and I sat there for a while and after 10 minutes, I was like, no, I cannot preach tonight after watching this. It was just one thing, one accusation, one lie, one conniving, one breakdown, one weakness after. And he doesn't, no, I'm not watching this turn it off because you can't hold on to the promises of God if you feed yourself negativity and then you get worried Billy Graham said this he said calloused hands with the badge of the pioneer but a furrowed brow is the insignia of modern man we're way down and all we see is danger you know there's a map in the museum the British Museum in London an old mariners chart from when sailors went and explored, especially North America. And wherever they found good ports and harbors, they noted them. And they found, when they found dangerous places, they wrote on the map, they wrote this, Yerby Giants, be Fiery Scorpions, be Dragons. Imagine getting a map like that. In fact, it's in the British Museum. Well, Sir John Franklin, 300 years later, when he looked at this map, you know what he did? He was a believer. He looked and he said, no, nonsense. And over each of those places he wrote, "You be God. I want you over your circumstances not to, oh, oh my word. Here be God. But it doesn't look like it, here be God. Because on the, sto- on the sea, in the storm, you be God in the back of the boat. We need to believe it. Number three, the enemy wants, us to, deny, wants to deny us the other side. All these storms and attacks are because God's taking you somewhere, a place, a destination. He's calling you up higher. He doesn't just want you saved at the beginning of the journey. He's taking you across to the other side. I, I, I think in my life, I'd like to think this, I, I don't know what God's still going to do and how he's going to do it. But I, th- I think I'm, I'm quite far across in what I've walked on favor, blessing, family, salvation. I've seen my children walk with God, my son in the ministry. I've seen God bless me with prosperity. Our church has been enlarged. I've seen our influence across the world. But there's more stuff, more campuses. And, 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 and I just wanna keep going. I wanna get to the other side. I was like, wow, well, you've done so much. We sang, you've been so, so good to me. As I sang that tonight, I realized, man, there's still so much more. If you've done that, surely you can get me to the other side. God's calling you up and he's calling you on. A well-known story is told about Napoleon. He was standing one day holding onto his horse, talking to a whole uh, company of troops. And uh, as he spoke, something caused the horse to be skittish and it pulled, the reins pulled out of his hands and the horse darted off. A young soldier, one of the lowest ranking, darted out of the ranks and chased after the horse down the road. Eventually got hold of the horse by the bridle, calmed the horse down, and then quietly led the horse back to Napoleon as he was addressing the troops. As this young, low-ranking soldier brought the horse back, Napoleon looked at him and said, thank you, Captain. He immediately left the ranks, went to his barracks, packed up his goods, and moved into the captain's quarters and ate in the mess. I think it's time some of you packed up your belongings and moved across to where God's calling you to live. Don't be put off by the circumstances. Number four, the enemy wants to drown us in our circumstances. There comes a time when you feel like you just will not survive. But we need to, we need to remember when the promises are tested, the devil's trying to drown me. It's not gonna happen. God will get me through. he will take me across in Jesus' name. Do you believe that? And number five, the Lord wants us to believe for the other side. Even if it feels like he's not active, he's spoken. He's given you a word. You need to trust him. He's got a better future for you. Do you believe that tonight? Some of you, you're living in one stagnant place. Now you've been called to step on the promises and enter your promised land. You're not meant to stay in one place. You can't be too long. The Israelites were told to pack up. You've gone around this mountain too long. Come on. The Lord's promised you something more. And number six, know that when God speaks, it is always fulfilled. Jesus spoke and it was so. Now, why, did Jesus, why was Jesus asleep in the boat? Yes, yes. is what you need to realize. Jesus knew the promises of God and the promises of God to Jesus were this. You will be born in a body. You will live on earth. You will have a profound effect on people, read all the prophets, but then you will die on a cross, but you will be raised from the dead. So as Jesus lay on a pillow in the back of that boat, he knew this is not where I'm gonna die. I know what God said about my life so I can sleep. And you need to know that when you're facing the most raging circumstances, God's given you a promise. Just go to bed. Just go to bed, go to sleep. Hand it over to him. And sleep through the raging storm of the economy, of a marriage, of circumstances, of lack of fees, whatever it might be. Because when he speaks, his word always comes true. The disciples were stressing, but Jesus was resting. As I come to a close tonight, I want to tell you a well-known story. I told it about three years ago, I think it was. It's about a family in Armenia in 1988. Samuel and Daniel, they had a little boy called Amant. And as the was getting ready for school in the morning, he got dressed. His father Samuel knelt down in front of him and looked him in the face. And he said, have a good day at school. Remember, no matter what, I'll always be there for you. And he hugged the boy and off he ran out the door to school. A few hours later, a massive earthquake struck that area of Armenia. And most of the buildings were reduced to rubble, including the boy's school. So he got his coat, ran out and darted down to that area. When he got there, there was a pile of rubble and parents were standing around crying. They just stood there crying. They were in such shock. They were just crying their eyes out. But Amant went to where his boy's classroom was and he began to start moving the rubble. People came to him and said, what are you doing? You can't do this. this, is, this is, you're making the situation worse. But he carried on. He just carried on removing the rubble. Even as he was removing the rubble and looking and taking away bits of stone and bits of board, parents had already gone home, got pictures of their children and flowers and come back and were really laying them, accepting that their kids were dead. He carried on. A worker came to him and said, you need to stop. He said, will you help me? He said, no, you need to stop. The worker left. He carried on removing the rubble. Eventually he heard a sound, a cry, and he called out and he heard his son call back, Papa, Papa. So he called back to his son and he said this. He said, uh, um, come on out, son. He reached down and his son said, no, no. Let the other kids come out first because I'll know you'll get to me. Child after child emerged until finally little Amand appeared and Samuel took him in his arms and said, and Amand said to him, I told the kids not to worry because you told me you'd always be there for me. 14 children were saved that day. Because one father kept his word to his son. How many of you know today we've got a heavenly father who keeps his word to us? Even when we're in raging circumstances and the world is collapsing around us, he keeps us and he keeps his word to us. We just need to believe and not allow the circumstances to take away the promises of God. I wanna pray with you tonight. Just give me a moment and we'll be done. Before I do, on just tell you something that I read, something that really shocked me. Every year in America, 5.8, listen to this, 5.8 billion dollars worth of gift cards are unclaimed. People buy them, give them, but people don't claim them. If you convert that into rands, it's 87 billion rand. I read, I thought it can't be true. So I looked up stats, in 2013, They sold $118 billion worth of gift cards. So this percentage is there. It's been paid for. You can just use it, but it's unclaimed. When I read that, I realized that's exactly what happens in our lives. There's a wealth of what God has purchased that's never claimed or used, and it's worth much more than silver or gold or money. It's just up to us to say, it's mine. Give it to me in Jesus' name. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.